0: Eleven years ago, like this month, eleven years ago, we, we were uh, planning our trip to come out and to preach, which is kind of the form of interviewing for a church position. Some of you uh, were here. Do you remember that boors? You guys were here. That's a, uh, <laughs> it's like what already already not even listening to me. We didn't. I didn't get two sentences into the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was 11 years ago, and so I, I, I came, I remember there was a dusting the first week of, of December, and I came from Chicago, and there was a dusting of snow, and everybody's like, oh, I don't know if we're going to still be able to meet, you know, and, what? And, so. Hey, I want to tell you one of the things that, that attracted me to Wendover Hills, and, and one of the main reasons that we came uh, to be your pastor um, close to 11 years ago, there was only about 30 people around then, right? Remember, that? about 30 people. Um, here at the church but this is what I remember I remember going home and saying this to a few different people I said either uh, all the people that were grumblers or complainers or were not mission-minded or didn't like something they must have all left right because I met 30 people who were like we don't know what to do but we're raring to go we're raring to go that was the tone of the first board meeting. Amy and Rich, do you remember you were in my living room? That was the tone of the first board meeting is we're ready to go. We're ready to go. And we went immediately. Can I, I tell you that story because what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about Jesus' new movement. And what you're going to see is that that captures Jesus' movement. It is people who would go before Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't quite know what to do. I don't feel adequate. I'm probably broken. What do you want me to do? I'm raring to go. Send us out. Listen, Wendover Hills, it is so easy for you, for me, for anybody in the church world to get to a point where in our, our church experience, we sit back in a chair and we kind of exhale. And we kind of go, whew, we're fine here. And before I know it, we can roll Five years, 10 years, 20 years of absolute comfortable Christianity that looks nothing like the movement Jesus is trying to send us out on or looks nothing like 30 people looking back at me 11 years ago that say, listen, we're not quite sure what to do, but we're raring to go. Listen, Wendover Hills, in this message this morning, that is what I'm inviting you back to. If you've drifted from that in any way, That's what I'm inviting you into because that's what Jesus invites his followers into. These 12 pretty prominent men, young men that he built into, never could have dreamed or imagined for a second when they stepped out to follow Jesus that this is what it would become. A congregation here joining with tens of thousands of congregations all over the world. The church. That's what I'm calling you too. I, I look at some of you, and this is what I've been praying recently. And, and let me, well, I'll just say it like I want to say it, right? Um, because these are weird, weird times for pastors. And I don't feel like it's ever really the role to get up here as a pastor and kind of complain about the pastoral role of any church. Um, these are weird times. And there are so many question marks from a pastoral standpoint. You know, where are people? What are they doing? Why do we see them and then not see them? Is anyone sharing their faith? Um, is, Is online, does it, is any of, I hope you're, if you're joining us online, I'm glad you're there, but is this whole online thing even working? You know, how do we even know? All these kind of question marks that are going on, right? And so for me, I've been praying two things, this last week especially, and some of this was prompted by something my wife said to me, and I would love to say she said it in a very like... Uh, you know, loving, honey, you know, way, but it was a kind of a sharp, um, sharp criticism in the, in the middle of us of discussing something, we'll say. Um, But this is what it prompted me to pray this week. One, God, I want to be a better leader. I need to be a better pastor and a better leader because like 30 people looked at me and said, we don't quite know what to do, but we're raring to go. In the middle of COVID as your leader, I'll be honest, I don't know what to do, but I'm raring to go. I am raring to reach people for Christ. I'm raring to lead you in that way. I'm raring to come alongside of you if you're broken and hurting. Um, but in the COVID world with everything, I don't know. I don't even know what that is. So I want to confess. I've been praying, Lord, help me to be a better leader. And then here's the second thing. God, would you break the heart of every person at Windover Hill for people who don't know Jesus, for people that are broken, that are hurting? I mean, in the last two days, somebody has. I mean, I, well, let's step back. I witnessed it yesterday. This place was packed. There was 250 people here, right, to lay to rest Mark Fricky, who the husband of Susan, right? And I'm looking around, and this place is. Filled with people that are far from God. There was Christians here too. But filled with people. But I want to tell you what really captured my heart yesterday. I looked out. On the, I was standing outside and I was greeting. And I looked out and Chris Lawson comes walking up. He don't know Mark. He, I don't even think you know Susan. Right? He would just think that, oh, Susan, she goes to the gym and comes to the church. Right? But he comes walking up. To be a part of this because somebody at his church lost their husband and we're having a funeral in his honor yesterday. That moved my heart because it told me that it didn't have to have anything to do with him. He didn't need to know this person at all. He just needed to have a heart that was heavy for somebody who maybe didn't know the Lord here that was going to be sitting in this church that day. Last night I talked to him on, on text because I knew he'd be up watching sports. So I often wake up to a text from Chris Lawson the next day, and I'm like, I couldn't make it that late, Chris. So, but his text told me I wanted to stay later to talk with more people, but I had to get my daughter to work. That moves my heart. So I've been praying that the Lord would help me be a better leader, and I've been praying that every person's heart, that means I'm praying for yours, would break for people that are far from God, are people that are broken and hurting in life, and that it doesn't have to have anything to do with you. You don't have to even know the person. You just have to be compelled and motivated, saying, "I'm not sure what to do, but I'm raring to go." And Holy Spirit, where you lead me, I want to go. Now, why do I ramble on all of this to get going here? Some of that was a rant, right? Sorry. That is what Jesus is describing in this message. This new movement, right? And I equally prayed uh, this morning, Janice. I prayed that people wouldn't talk over me while I was <laughs> preaching this morning. So, um, so I pray that you would be so engaged and plugged with this lesson that we're going to walk through this morning because it sets us on a path. Sets us on a path. Um, uh, my wife equally sent me something last night, uh, uh, was it yesterday, about uh, a, a text, a screenshot of something about leading churches, and, and one of the things that the guy, he said a lot of things that I'm like, oh, I don't know about that, but he said one thing that just hit me, he said, lead the congregation that's in front of you, lead what's in front of you, and listen, I'm going to confess, there's times where I go home and I go, man, that was awesome this morning, but so-and-so wasn't there, they weren't there. They weren't there, you know, and it's like, ah, and many times Sharia said, yeah, but who was there? And that hit me, lead who's in front of you, because this is what I know, we're down to about 47% across America of church attendance. That means church attendance for people who said we're super regular has dropped 53%, 53%. It's happened all across the nation. It's not just Wendover Hills, right? Equally, people will say their budgets are still holding okay, which we'll praise the Lord on that side of things. I don't know how that, but it means people's engagement with their congregation, with their uh, like-minded worshipers has dropped 53%. So every week we could look around and say, where's so-and-so? Why isn't so-and-so? Why isn't so-and-so? And we'll do that. I send messages. I send cards every week to people some of which I never get a response. I never even know what's going on because I never, it just, that's what's happened with COVID. But this is what I do know. There are people in your life you run into every single day that don't have a community like this. There's people you know that are far from God that need an encouraging word and encouraging family. They need that. And they need you. They need you to be the inviting force in that. I once asked my gym owner, um, are you nervous? There was a gym that moved in around the corner, and there was already one right up the road. So you're talking three CrossFit gyms in this close area. And like Sometimes when they send us out on runs, which I hate, we would actually go by one of the other gyms. It's very strange. Um, and I once I asked him, I, I, I said, um, are you a little nervous about that gym, that third gym opening up around the corner? And this is funny. He said... Uh, he said, no. He said, there's a lot of unfit people in Greensboro. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Do we care if a church opens up here, there, around the corner? Where? No, no, that's not our world. That's not the way we're thinking. There are plenty of people in your life and my life that don't know Jesus or that, that knew Jesus and they just kind of drifted away or, or some brokenness happened in their life and, and, and they just stepped out of it. And they need you. They need you. Because most people don't walk away from the faith because of Jesus. They walk away from the faith because of some experience, often with a church or a Christian. It need you to be an inviting force. All right, let's jump into the, the lesson this morning, and I'll, I'll, I'll try. No, I won't even try. We're going to go through it. So um, uh, if you didn't get your sermon notes, grab this, and we'll, we'll track through that. If you didn't get one, you, I guess you can slip up your hand and, and uh, my wife down here. So she's, Oh, she's coming to you. Oh, we're flipping the script this morning. So if you didn't get one, stand up and walk to the back. <laughs> so we're flipping the script <laughs> this morning. Oh. All right, we got, we got it. Alright, I'm already so off, but let's just jump right into it. One thing that really needs to be abundantly clear in this series we bu- we've been walking through the, the, over the last six weeks uh, is that God had an agenda. God had a plan. Everything we walk through in the Old Testament, we talked about, we call that the Jewish scriptures. When they walk through that, that it was a divine mean to a divine end, And it was for, remember, everyone. The whole world. All the way back when the God spoke to Abraham, I will, you'll be a blessing for everyone. Perhaps this will jog your memory if you need, now that we've hit the New Testament in our journey. For God so loved the, anyone? The world. For God so loved the world this continues on this mindset did you know your neighbor who doesn't know jesus is the world right your coworker is the world that family member who you're like no prophets welcome in my in our hometown so i don't even talk to him about jesus right they are what the world that's what jesus is saying the entire world everyone all nations every generation it's not for a nation it is for everyone god use the nation Of Israel for the divine purpose to a divine end, so that he might reveal himself and be a blessing to everyone. Do you remember uh, this in the New Testament? We're talking about John the Baptist, one of my favorite characters. Take a look at it in your sermon notes. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said this: Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of what? The world. Everyone. John gets so excited here, it seems like he has a hard time even getting his words out. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me who surpassed me because he was before me. You got to love that, right? (laughs) There's actually a a really good reason why John says it that way, but that's that's for another time. He says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water, tell us, John, why did you come baptizing with water, was that he might be revealed to Israel. And it was. But even John, what we're learning here is John's basically saying, look, my role in this has now come to an end. So just like this long line of people, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon, Nehemiah, all the prophets, the ones we can pronounce, the ones we can't pronounce, right? All of them were a divine mean to a divine end, John included, leading up to Jesus, The first line in this series I told you is that Jesus came to introduce something new. He didn't just come to update. He didn't come to kind of fix and tweak, right? He didn't say, hey, let's return to this and let's do it a little better. He came to introduce something entirely new. He did it through the context of the old, through the context of the nation of Israel. But make no mistake, what he was introducing was something new. Now, my hunch is, as we, as we start to see this over the next three weeks, what this new was, it's not going to bother you at all. In fact, it's not even going to be new to you. You're not going to go, oh, wow, never heard of that before. You're not going to find it disturbing, but you might find disturbing the implications of the old. Because what happens often uh, when we look at this is that we see that Jesus came to fulfill and replace what was old, but what we often do is we actually love the new and hold on to the old. And we're going to see that Jesus introduces something brand new to replace. He actually puts it in terms, as we learn, he is fulfilling, meaning it's not just a replace like it was bad. It was a, this reason and purpose has come to an end so that I can offer you this. And we'll talk about this. Well, having something new is wonderful. It's exciting. I got a new pair of Tennis shoes. Yesterday came in the mail, right? Do you still call them tennis shoes? No, sneakers. All right, my bad, my bad. How is it we're the same age, but you still know the cool terms? So, yeah. Well, I got a new pair, and this is. I'm sitting this pair up on a shelf, and I'm looking at it so that I can lose 15 pounds. And when I lose 15 pounds, I can put those shoes on my feet. It's my motivator, right? All right. So, um, so that's good. But uh, one of my problems is I don't ever get rid of my old. Uh, tennis shoes or sneakers sorry Um, I I don't get rid of them there and is putting her head down because she knows there's one closet in the guest bedroom when you open it up there's shoe racks and there's all my sneakers down there you know that's why when you got the new couch you put the old couch down in the attic right you hung on to that thing some of you right away are like yeah, in first service, they had masks on, but I saw their eyeballs tell me, yep, I did that too, right? And that's why we have basements and attics and storage units and all that kind of stuff because we hold on to that old. Listen, when it comes to your couch, right, in no way did you holding on to your old couch diminish you having that new couch. You get to really enjoy it. Please, though, don't donate it to the youth room. We don't want it either, okay? How about somebody thinking about buying us a new couch around here, all right? Quit with the tube TVs already, right? Those flat screens are doing real good right now. So the youth, you know, okay, we'll move on. Uh, But we're going to find, we're going to discover in this, when we do the same thing with the old and the new Jesus came to introduce, problems surface. It becomes a lot more complicated. We'll explain more on that as we get going. But I want to warn you, what we're talking about might, disrupt you. It might disturb you a little bit when we talk about letting go of the old. But our hope is this, that by the time we're done with this, this, and we're halfway through this journey, by the time we're done, that you would actually unlock your faith and your theology and how you live out this faith from the old, and you would embrace all of the new Jesus is coming and offering to you. Much of that you already know, but I'm going to be highlighting it and elevating it to a place where you say, this is everything, everything in my faith. So let's start with the first thing. Jesus introduces a brand new movement. I was ranting about it before we jumped into it when I I talked about it this morning uh, and what I've been praying for myself and for you. Um, Jesus' first century followers, his disciples, they were not expecting something new, right? How could they? They were actually expecting something old, like real old, like dead old, seriously, Here's what happened. Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling through Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked them a pivotal question. Looks like this. It's in your notes. Who do people say the Son of Man is? He's talking about himself there. Um, Like, uh, who do people say I am? What's the word on the street? What's my rep? You know, um, that's what he's asking them. Turns out, some of them said, hey, you're John the Baptist reincarnated, right? Some people say that, which doesn't really make any sense since their lives overlapped, but... That's how they're stretching there. Others said, no, 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 Elijah or Jeremiah or some other dead Jewish prophet come back, right? What's the implication there? Kind of more of the old, right, or updated of the old. They certainly weren't seeing that Jesus might be coming to do something new. And then he asked them this, and this is an important question. In fact, this is a question you've got to ask yourself too. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say? Why does he ask the, the disciples this? They're the closest people. They're saying, look, you've been with me now. You've interacted with me. You've experienced. You've heard what I've had to say. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say? It would be kind of like us today. Is What does our TV shows say Jesus is? Oh, we can come up with all kinds of stuff, right? Right? But then if you ask a sold-out follower of Jesus, who do you say Jesus is? You're going to get two totally different answers, right? He might be the punchline somewhere else, right? He's the everything over here. That is what is being asked of the disciples here. Well, Peter spoke up, right, right away. He always does, right, with Peter. Jumped right to the answer. Here's what he says. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, meaning that's not the word on the street. That's not what everybody's saying, right? Right? This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And here's the big announcement. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, when he says, on this rock, I'll build my church, you you, got to understand, he's not saying, on Peter, on you, Peter, I will build my church. That's That's a Catholic theology position. It is that statement You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Another gospel writer tells us you're the cornerstone. And on this, on this rock, on this point, the church will be built up. My church will be built up that I am the Messiah, the son of the living God. That will be the cornerstone. This is my favorite Bible prophecy. Why? Because it predicts. You know what it predicts? Us. It predicts this. It predicts what I do for a living as your pastor. It, it predicts what, what you are when you say, I am a, a member or a tender or I am plugged in at Windover Hills. It predicts. But boy, does it predict so much more. So much more. Jesus is predicting here something new. Don't miss it. If listen to how he says it. He speaks, I will build as in it hasn't happened yet. It's not there yet. What is Jesus saying here? I'm not coming to reestablish the temple. Like, we're not going to build that back up. In fact, Jesus just said, look, it's going to be torn down. We talked about this last week. That's not what he's saying. It is something new is on the horizon. And new is not what they were looking for. It wasn't what they were expecting. What is this new? He says it's his church. Or more correctly, it is his ecclesia. You ever heard that word before? That's actually the Greek word that's used there. And the, that Greek word is actually translated church 118 different times in the Bible. Ecclesia. that is what Jesus is predicting. This was actually the first time if you take your Greek New Testament like this, and I know you probably all have some in your lap right now, you know, that you're reading through. You're reading through the Greek, Brian, over there? No, you're not. are your chance to impress us. So, the Russian? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, Oh, you threw me way off now. I didn't know where I was going. If you grab your Greek New Testament here and you look, you're going to see the word "ecclesia" in this passage I just read. Translated into our English translations, which um, if I said, do you have your English translation on your lap in this day and age, you'd probably go, no, I don't have that either. So, though that is me convicting you as your pastor, right, to grab your Bible. Chris Lawson, you're like example number two today, right? And Corey... Pastor Eddie, I expect that out of Pastor Eddie. All right here, yeah. So they're not looking at you very nicely, Lawson's over there. If you take your English translation, right, and you look at the passage I just talked about and 117 others, that word "ecclesia" was translated "church" in our our Bibles. Here's the thing, though: most of our translations that we have, you might have a New International Version, New Living. Translation, this is a, a, a contemporary English translation, right? Or you might have a, uh, the English Standard Version that you like to use. If you're like, like, I am highly academic, you might use the New American Standard Version or the Revised Standard Version. Um, these are all translations that take the Greek and translate it directly. Greek to English, directly straight across, what is their difference? Well, if you read those more academic ones, they read very, very choppy, all right? Straight translations. If you read one like New Living, they kind of order the words that make a little more sense with the way we talk in English today. That would be your difference. What's the big deal? Why are we even talking about this? If you take the, word, the term ecclesia, if you also take the word for deacon as well, there are a couple words that actually take a little detour in the translation. And this is one of them, ecclesia. Instead of it being translated directly from Greek to the English, it makes a pit stop around the German translation. It's translated to Latin and then eventually to German. Those were the two biggest languages the Bibles were in before it hit a time that you and I know where, where the Bible started to be translated in all kinds of language. To Latin, to German, long before it ever got to English. And there was this little detour with this term "ecclesia." Instead of using the term ecclesia, the word for, for, that was inserted in there instead was the word kirch. That's a German word. So you can see how we got the word church out of that. Do you know what kirch means? It means house of worship or temple. House of worship or temple. So you can see if this word ekklesia was used to translate from Greek to German, then to English, you would see how we get the term "church," meaning a house of worship or a temple. But some of you are putting two, to get, uh, two and two together, you're say, "But Tom, you just said that Jesus did not come to establish a new temple." Well, you're correct. In fact, if we were to look at the many times that Ecclesia is translated and use the word "church," we would see sometimes we're like, "That doesn't make any sense. And the Bible translators knew this. Those are there's five times they actually are like, we can't use the word church here. We got to use a different word. Let me read you one of them. Take a look at your sermon notes this morning. Acts 19.32. Here's what's going on. Paul comes into Ephesus. He starts to see, man, there are Christians even worshiping idols all through Ephesus. New believers even. So he started to disciple them that you don't need to worship idols anymore. That's not part of our faith. And they started to listen and hear, and they quit. They quit it. And so you know what that did? It actually was a big problem with the idol manufacturing industry in Ephesus. And so a certain silversmith, Demetrius, got really angry and brought grievance against Paul. Hey, you're messing with our business here. All these people aren't buying idols anymore. He got the town so worked up, it says that there were a riot happened. We get a passage that said, they all rushed as one angrily into, the, into the, the amphitheater, and that's where they all are, angrily in the amphitheater, in kind of a riotous way. Take a look at the passage now. So then, some were shouting one thing and in, in some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Did you spot the word ecclesia in there? Did you see the word that's translated for Church. Here's how the passage would read if we translated it straight church. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the church was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Now, that might describe some church meetings uh, that different churches have had over the year, but you can see the trouble that it would be if it was translated straight church. What are we getting at here? The question is, what does this word mean that Jesus is saying? that I'll build my ecclesia on this principle that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, the word ecclesia simply means assembly. It wasn't a religious word. Jesus is grabbing a word that has action behind it. Not a word that's in a noun form that just simply means when there's a group of people there, that's church or that's ecclesia. It's actually a word that has action behind it. It means this, it is a gathering for a specific purpose or to cause a specific change or to send people out for a specific function. That is what the word ecclesia means. If it doesn't have those things, well, you could just say meeting, it's a meeting. There was a group of people, there was a mob. But when you add the term ecclesia to that group, there's a specific purpose. That is what Jesus is getting at. When Jesus says, my ecclesia won't be like temple in fact my ecclesia won't be temple where people come to temple to sacrifice and they come to temple to be absolved or to find their blessing or to worship in that venue and no other venue excuse me. Here, he's saying my ecclesia will go out and be on the move who was the mobile person in the old testament we talked about several times in this series God, well, Abraham did move, so Pastor Eddie with the correct answer on that. I was thinking God, though, Um, so God trumps your answer, so so I said God, (laughs) sorry, sorry, I appreciate that, so, so, um, yeah, God was on the move constantly in the Old Testament. When they went into exile, did that prevent from God? No, God just went all over in exile with them, right? When they were in captivity in Egypt, no problem, God just went there. Now we're getting God's people, his, the ecclesia Jesus is introducing, saying, "It is on the move. It's not designed for you to come and get. It's designed for you to go. That's what we're finding out here. This is what is different, what Jesus is coming to offer. This is His new movement in Him. How is the world going to know the new? How will they know it? You've got to go. In the Old Testament, how would they know God? Well, go to temple go there. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm sending you. I'm sending my ecclesia. We actually find this uh, in, in Luke is the one that documents it in the book of Acts, you might remember, where we start to get a, a, a phrase or a name for those new followers or a name for what's happening with people that are sharing Jesus with other people. It would not be church. That was not the early name. It wasn't even Christians. That would come along later. Do you remember what the name was? It was the way. Somebody said it. Yeah. It was the way. That was the first thing Christians were known as the way. It had direction, intention, and passion. Listen, it wasn't just that Jesus was the way. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is saying, look, the church, my ecclesia, will be the way. When they go out and they share, it is like my people will become like me. That's what I'm sending them to do and sending them to be. Paul, we learn that before he became a Christian, he was persecuting who? Followers of the way. Now, some of your translations might say persecuting Christians, but they weren't known as Christians. Yet, that's just a translator helping you to understand who he's talking about, believers in Jesus. After his conversion, though, he actually admits to Governor Felix, Paul. He says, I am, in fact, a follower of the what? Say it. The way. That was what they were known as. Way in Greeks translated road, path, direction, street. And so you can see what they're saying here is the way forward for everyone this blessing for all people is found in Christ. It's this way. It's us moving this way in Christ. When we reduce church to a place that we go to on Sunday, a place that doesn't have direction that sends us out, then we've missed the new Jesus came to offer. Have you ever seen uh, on the, the patches, of uh, military uniforms and such, and and uh, the, the flag that looks like it's American flag is turned around backwards. Have you ever noticed that? Do you know why they do that? Forward. Because it has the look that it's moving forward. Wouldn't happen if it was the other way. You got to think of the church that way. That Jesus' ecclesia isn't stagnant. It isn't in one place. It is the way. It is always moving forward. Why? Because Abraham said, I'm going to bless every nation through. Jesus wants to do the same thing. He wants to continue that, but he wants to offer it something brand new in this. So Jesus' disciples, they're walking in Caesarea Philippi. Back to the story. These 12 men would have no idea. They couldn't imagine for a second what they were in for. They never would have dreamed. They certainly wouldn't know their role individually they would play in it, all the way up to them being most of them martyred doing it they would have no idea they were like 30 people at Wendover Hills 11 years ago just simply saying we're not quite sure but we're raring to go where do you want to send us what do you want us to do we'll go do it and they launch into this something new this ecclesia we have unfortunately at times not intentionally we've kind of reduced church to really thinking in forms of a building I felt it a little bit when we built this. Not that I didn't love the idea that we were building a building and getting someplace. But I look at this as just, this is just like home base for us to kind of gather, figure it out, and let's go, let's get. It's not home where we hunker down. In that terms, I'm, I'm just fine in that school, setting up and tearing down every week. There was a lot of chairs. Um, but in that sense, having a permanent home is never the goal never the goal it certainly wasn't the goal of jesus here when the holy spirit came they didn't have a place well i guess they were in the upper room but they immediately left and they went mobile to share jesus and if you read the book of acts so many of them remain mobile the rest of the book of acts even those that were a little slower to get going on being mobile became mobile and went One of the Christian theologians and apologist, Tertullian, you might remember that name if you don't know anything about him, Um, he was a convert, he became a Christian, and so he got to see both becoming a Christian, being ministered to, and somebody sharing Jesus with him, um, and he got to see this growth of, of the early church. Listen to what he writes, I think I put it in your notes this morning. What shall I say of the Romans themselves who fortify their own empire with garrisons of their own legion, nor can extend the might of their kingdom beyond these nations? Say, look, how powerful the Roman Empire is, and they can't seem to move forward at all. They can't extend their borders at all. They're the biggest army on earth. But Christ's name is extending everywhere, believed everywhere. Worshipped by all the above, enumerated nations, reigning everywhere, adored everywhere, convert equally everywhere upon all. Can you see the contrast, the comparison? Christ's kingdom, militarily as weak as they come, and it is extending everywhere. No king with him finds greater favor, no barbarian less joy nor dignities or pedigrees enjoy distinction of merit to all. He is equal to all king, all judge, to all God and Lord. But Christ's name is extending everywhere, believed everywhere. This would have been impossible for 12 people to see when they decided they'd get behind Jesus and they would go. They would move forward. Everywhere is what it says. Here's my question. What's your view of everywhere? Everywhere. What is that for you? Is everywhere you and Jesus just your own Christianity? Super important. We've been talking about I mean we talked about that nonstop, your own growth. You've got to feed yourself, you've got to get in God's word, stay in church, all those kind of things. Um, but is that your definition of everywhere? Your family at home, your kids building into your kids, your faith. We've talked about that. I hope you're doing that. We want to empower you to do it, help you along the way. Is that your definition of everywhere? When I look at this everywhere, maybe I'm just naive enough or dumb enough to think about it this way. Everywhere I actually go, everywhere I actually go, that's where I need to take Christ. So I suppose if you stay in your house and never leave it, then you're doing a good job of everywhere you go. But my guess is you go a lot more places. My guess is you have a hobby, and you hang out there. Most adults have a hobby these days. Well, it didn't exist so much 30, 40 years ago. The chances are you take your kids somewhere, right? We, we run around to different ball practices and those type of things. You probably go to the grocery store would be my guess, right? I know it's easy to drive up in the grocery store now, right? But you go places. I wonder if we would all here just be so naive or call it dumb enough to believe that this would mean everywhere is actually everywhere you go and I go. That we could take this. That we could take this message of Christ everywhere we actually go. What's your view of everywhere? Listen, I gave you a, a card on the way in. I think most, our pastor Eddie gave most people a card on the way in. It's a little visitor card. I want to explain that for just a second. I don't know where mine went to. Little red visitor card here's what I don't want you to do with this, and this is why I'm talking about it. If you take that card and just hand it to somebody and say, hey, I'd love for you to come to my church. Move on, you know? Stick it on the seat somewhere in public that somebody might sit there later, you know, and go home and like, I am evangelizing the world. No, no, here's, this, this card is just a little tool. The relationship is the key. When you talk to somebody and say, hey, I'd love for you to come over and check out my church. I'd love for you to, come, you know, we we meet on Sundays. Um, It's a little weird with COVID right now, but we've got a couple service options, whatever you're comfortable with. I'll I'll go to whichever one you're more comfortable with, right? Which means some of you people that hate masks, right, you're going to need to suck it up and put on a mask to come to first service because that's where your friend will want to come, all right? So just how it goes because that's the kingdom, right? And then when you feel like, hey, there's a little open door here, you say, well, hey, here's a card Um, this is the times I just want you to be able to remember them and have something You see the difference in using the card? The card is not the magic tool. The relationship is And then I want to see you bring them right to church and you sit with them on church And then you already plan go out to lunch with them and then you don't say hey, did you like it? No, yeah, yeah, I like the first song not the one second one You know your pastor's a little long, you know or whatever, you know You say to them hey You pick out one or two impactful things. Hey, what'd you think about when he said this? What'd you think about when the praise team was singing that? And let them engage with what God might be doing. And then here's the last thing you do, and you got to do this. You invite them right back next week, right back. Because what we learn is to plug somebody in in Christian community, they got to come back. They got to come back, right? Which means if you have something the next week, you got to figure out how to make arrangements where you're going to be here the next week. Yeah, figure it out, you know, because that's what we're doing. Can you understand the sense of everywhere? Now, somebody's going to walk out of here next week or today, and they're going to go like, he just wants us to invite people. He cares about attendance. He cares about my attendance. And uh, I, you know what? I'm just glad with you receiving that message if that's what you get, all right? But I know what we're offering and what we're saying, and I think you get it too. That's our view of everywhere. That's the new movement. That's the way. That's what God is sending us out to do and be. I want to say one last thing, and, and uh, I, I've been trying to figure out how you would say this without somebody going like, did he just criticize us? You know, um, and that's what pastors often do. You know, They sneak it in. Um, so I, I don't want to do that, but I want to just say this, and it's part of how I've been praying for you. There are some days where I long for those 30, where I just long to say, hey, we got 204 people on a list here um, who call this their home, several others that pop in and invite here or there that it's hard to keep track of who's who. Um, And there are some days I'm like, I long for that 30 that just says, I am raring to go, raring to go. Maybe God's called you today. He's already spoke to your heart to be that, to be in that number. I'm not going to have a meeting. We won't have iglesia, or iglesia. So I'm already ready for Spanish service. Ecclesia after service. You know, you just go do it. You know what to do. You know, right? And if for some reason you're not quite sure, well, I'd, love, I'd love to share with you. Oh. Well, let's pray. So Father, thank you for this morning and just for the challenge. And Lord, I'll, I'll pray briefly since we're... I already went late. Father, just... If you have convicted our heart in any way, anyone in here, Father, would it immediately translate into commitment and then action? You convict, we will will commit, and we will go together with you in action. Lord, may that happen today even. Send us everywhere, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen.